But the, the clocks were changed last night. So great, I've got an hour sleep in. This will be fantastic. And so what happened, woke up the next morning, it was really bright, of course. I, I went to have a look at the clock and the clock said 8.30 and I was preaching in the 8 o'clock service. And I thought, oh no, Dougal's going to like sack me for this. But fortunately, after my heart stopped, I checked another clock and that clock had stopped. So I was okay. I was like, oh, it's all right. Dougal will not sack me. Okay. Um, that's got nothing to do with what I'm about to say. But I spent uh, 10 years on beach mission um, in a place called Tawoon Bay, uh, just um, on the central coast uh, in my 20s and early 30s. And I loved doing beach mission. Um, has anyone been on a beach mission here? Hands, yeah, how good is a beach mission? We should all go on a beach mission if you haven't already. It uh, doesn't matter how old you are as well, um, you can still come along. But there was one night of the year that I dreaded. Can you guess what night it was? Poya. New Year's Eve, yeah, New Year's Eve. Um, well, going into it, it ended up being New Year's Day as well. But the reason I dreaded it, it's not because I got very little sleep, which is, you know, often the case on New Year's Eve. That's bad in itself. But it was the chaos that I knew that was coming. Uh, and I knew that was chaos coming on, on New Year's Eve. I just didn't know what form it was going to take. Uh, there were arson attacks one year on our tents and it turns out that canvas burns really easily, right? So the next year we decided to purchase a vinyl tent because they don't burn very easily. Um, I remember one year waking up in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, so we managed to get to sleep somehow. Uh, but we woke up in the wee hours of the morning to some half-naked drunk guy uh, running through our big marquee. I didn't know what was going on. He was screaming at the top of his lungs and before he keeled over on the ground and he refused to leave. And I was like, what do I do at this point, right? I'm the director. How do I direct this guy out of the tent? But fortunately, we had this six foot five guy on our team, this 20-year-old, and he just got fed up, right? And he just, he just went straight to the guy, grabbed him by the legs and just pulled him straight out of the tent and I called the cops and, and uh, I thought it was good teamwork actually because um, I couldn't pull the guy out. He's too big. Um, but as I look back on those nights... Um, I anticipated their coming. I just didn't know the form that the chaos would take. Uh, New Year's Eve on beach mission for me is actually quite a good metaphor for what life can be like sometimes. Uh, we ought to anticipate in life that at times it's going to be filled with chaos. We just don't know what form it's going to take. And so the question tonight that I think our passage raises is this one. It'll come up on the screen. Uh, it says, how do I cope in the chaos of life? How do I cope in the chaos of life? And we're going to see today that courage, the, the courage to cope in the chaos is actually not some innate quality deep within us. We're going to see that courage, coping in the chaos, is actually about believing the promise of God. So why don't I pray as we begin? Let's pray.
Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you are the God who speaks to us clearly and that you are the God who makes promises. And because you're the one who's completely in control and the one who is faithful and true, that you're always going to fulfill your promise. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul has faced significant battles, uh, obstacles, I guess, uh, throughout his missionary journeys. Um, If you read through the book of Acts, uh, there's riots, there's beatings, uh, he gets stoned. Um, And since his arrival in Jerusalem, and you see that in chapter 21, uh, Paul's been on trial whether it be before the crowds in Jerusalem, uh, before the Sanhedrin, or before successive governors of Judah in Felix and Festus. And if you were here last week, I wasn't here, but you would have heard about King Agrippa. Uh, He was a puppet Jewish king, uh, the last in the Herodian dynasty. And again, Paul defends himself before King Agrippa. And what does he do? He does it every single time. He's, he simply shares the gospel, right? He shares his, the testimony of his life, Jesus' work in his life, and how they need to repent and turn to him who is the resurrected king. It pretty much says the same thing each time, but slightly differently. But Paul now faces something quite different something that he really hasn't faced uh, much before, although there was an earthquake I was reminded of this morning. He faces here a natural catastrophe. And while the gospel has been unstoppable before human obstacles, what about natural ones? Well, let's begin with point number one, going down. Uh, We heard read that Paul is about to set sail for Rome to face trial before the emperor. Paul, along with his companion Aristarchus, they board a ship for Italy and under the oversight of the centurion named Julius. Uh, And you can tell that Luke, who wrote um, the Acts of the Apostles, he's clearly on board that ship, right? The detail that is put into this, clearly indicative of someone who's on the ship, right? Uh, The timing of the trip is part of that detail. It's after the Day of Atonement, which actually places this trip in early October 59 AD. Uh, It's autumn and therefore very late in the the sailing, in the season rather, for sailing on the open seas. Uh, The weather is becoming more difficult and Luke's account depicts these worsening conditions. Uh, If you have a look at verse 4, Um, we read, the winds were against us. Then in verse seven, we read phrases like, slow headway, difficulty, and the wind did not allow us. Until verse nine, Luke describes the conditions as dangerous. And the question is, what are you gonna do, right, in that situation? Well, at this point, Paul warns of the impending disaster. We heard Alice read it before, but his warning goes unheeded. Julius the centurion disregards Paul's warning. Instead, he follows the advice of the captain and the owner of the ship, hoping to reach another port uh, called Phoenix, which is still on the island of Crete and winter there. It's not far. If you look at it on a map, it's, it's not a long distance. But a gentle wind 
as they sail deteriorates into a wild storm. We read a a wind of hurricane force comes from the northeast and drives them away from the island. So what they're trying to do is just sail along the island a little bit further so they can port in Phoenix, but the wind blows from the northeast and just pushes them out to open sea. And despite all precautions, in the space of a few days, their fear turns to despair before we read in verse 20, finally they had given up all hope of being saved. It's a good question to ask. Imagine you're a Paul in that situation. What do you do? Uh, Who do you look to when all hope has been lost? Because that's what it says, all hope's been lost. Who do you look to? Well, I reckon superheroes give us a good clue. Everyone loves a good superhero movie. Uh, What's your your favourite movie? What's your favourite superhero movie? Come and shout it out. We're a small crowd here, Poyer. Can you kick us off? Dark Knight. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman's really good. Um, I, I actually love Iron Man, right? The original Iron Man, because I was an engineer background. I'm like, it's, it is possible to do what he did, probably not in the middle of the desert, but you know, you might be able to whip something up. Um, but almost exclusively, right, true superheroes, they stand up when all hope's been lost, don't they? Everything looks like it's going downhill, but the superhero draws on his his or her superhero strength or abilities to turn things around. And we love them for it. That's why we watch the movies, right? But Paul's strength, it doesn't come from within. Uh, Paul's strength here lies outside of himself. He's no superhero. He simply believes a promise. Uh, Sometimes as Christians, we might perceive, and you might have experienced this, when things are going bad in your life, uh, you shouldn't persevere because God, through these difficulties, is communicating to me that I'm on the wrong path. Uh, But can I say, I think this story illustrates for us then when it comes to discerning God's will, circumstances don't govern whether I should persevere. They are not signs from God. You know, if Paul gave up at this point, right, then he would be saying that his circumstances govern what he ought to do. It makes the circumstance king over his decisions, but he doesn't do that. I want to say in humility, we discern God's will not through our circumstances. Circumstances can be rubbish and they're not signs from God necessarily. No, we work out what God's will is from God's declared word in Scripture primarily. They must take precedence over reading into our circumstances things that may not be there. The circumstances Paul is going through would tell him he's boarded the wrong ship, but he doesn't believe his circumstances. He believes the promise of God. And that's our second point. Point number two, when things start going up. 
uh, from verse 23, after a polite form of I told you so, it's quite funny if you read it in detail, but Paul reveals verse 23, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. That's faith, isn't it? Now, Paul has what is, I've heard coined, convictional intelligence. Uh, Joe Gibbs, she'll come up on the screen, but she's CEO of Anglican Deaconess Ministries. And speaking of convictional intelligence, she writes these words, it's not just about the beliefs that we hold, but that hold us in their grip. Uh, here, Here the Apostle Paul doesn't simply hold a belief in the sovereignty of God, that God's in control. It actually grips him. And it causes him to act in response to it. And that is convictional intelligence. Uh, Paul receives this message through an angel of God that he will stand before Caesar and that this seemingly hopeless trip to Rome will end in the salvation of all on board. For I have faith in God, Paul says, that it will happen just as he told me. Uh, This passage, it actually got me asking the question, and hopefully it is for you, how composed am I in the midst of a crisis or even just minor irritations? Do I live as a person to whom a promise has been made? Uh, Here's a promise, the the Bible's full of promises. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do I believe that promise? I have to be honest, uh, there are a couple of days in the last month where my words... And my feelings were communicating to myself and to other people that I was not believing this promise. So what did I do? Well, I carved out a couple of hours in my week, just me and God, and I read the Scriptures, I read the promises of God, and I reflected them back to Him in prayer. Uh, We won't look at it in detail, but the once disregarded Paul becomes the one to whom everyone lends an ear to. Uh, In verse 31 to 32, Paul advises everyone on board the ship to stay. Don't jump, and everyone does. In verse 33 to 37, Paul advises them to strengthen themselves by eating some food, and everyone does. And then from verse 39 to 44, we see Paul's faith vindicated. There were 276 people on board that ship. It must have been a big ship, but everyone was saved. The ship runs aground on the island of Malta, and while the ship is destroyed by the pounding of the waves, everyone on board is saved. I think what this last section of Acts teaches us 
is in fact what the whole of Acts teaches us. And it's that point number three, it's this last point, God always keeps his promises. Uh, in chapter 28, Paul, we're going to ha- have a look at it, but Paul, after arriving in Malta, will make a final leg of his journey to Rome. That's where he's going to face trial before Caesar. And he spends the remainder of his life under Roman guard. And the book of Acts concludes with these words. Uh, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, when we started this series a long time ago, do you remember the promise? Do you remember the promise that Jesus made to his first disciples, that that small band of followers? It was this uh, promise here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power, disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want you to imagine you are one of those first disciples, right? And you would have been like, that is impossible, right? Christianity is almost like nothing, right? There are no, almost no followers. Everyone's walked away, right? Jesus has appeared to you and he tells you, go and proclaim that I am risen from the dead, not just here, but to the ends of the earth. And they had a choice. Will I believe that promise? And what you see in the book of Acts is that God is faithful. That's what the the book of Acts is about. God makes a promise that his his resurrected son will be proclaimed through the whole earth and that will happen. God is faithful. God has a plan and he's going to fulfill that plan. And he does it through his disciples. Nothing will frustrate his purposes. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial. But I reckon even in Ukraine, in the atrocities that we see happening in Ukraine, even there, especially there, God is at work. I received an email from Cy Hood uh, a couple of weeks back. He works with Logos Store and he was highlighting the work that God is doing through Logos Store in Ukraine right now. Uh, Ukraine, I'm not sure, I didn't know this, but is probably the most Christian nation in Europe. About 60% are Christian. But as these millions of Ukrainian Christians are dispersed across secular Europe, with them they bring the gospel. They bring the good news of the resurrected Lord. And what our prayer should be amongst everything else, their safety, their provision, should be that they would boldly proclaim the gospel of God in what is now secular Europe. 
Well, we began with this question, how do I cope in the chaos of life? Well, in one sense, the answer is relatively simple. It's hard to do, but it's relatively simple. We've seen in in the last couple of chapters in Acts, you keep believing the promise of God. That God is good all the time and all the time God is good. You keep believing the promise of God and then you live out that promise in your life. Uh, John Newton, uh, we'll probably all know this famous story, he once sailed the same waters that the Apostle Paul uh, sailed um, 1,700 years earlier. I was on the 10th of May, 1748, that John Newton captained a slave ship and was struck by a great storm off the coast of Africa. And he cried out to God for mercy and was delivered. And he wrote of his experience now recorded in the most famous English hymn in history, Amazing Grace. And we're going to sing that song now. I'm going to invite the musos up. But as we sing this song... Let's be reminded that through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. And it's grace that has brought you this far and it's grace that will lead you home. Let's stand and sing the original Amazing Grace.